Well, hello. Good uh, morning. Uh, my name is Rob. If you don't know me, if you're new around here, I'm one of the ministers here, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to another installment of our series, pretty much about miracles, entitled When Pigs Fly. And, you know, whoever you are, whatever you believe about life or faith or God or miracles, I'm pretty sure you, you've, you've prayed from time to time. We live in a world that is pretty, you know, uh, full of trouble. And when things get bad, sometimes we accidentally find ourselves praying. Have you ever had that? Have you had that weird feeling where, like, you're not necessarily a person of faith, but suddenly something happens and you're like, oh, God, just get me through this week. If you only get me through this week, that would be really great. And then you're like, what am I doing? People do that, don't they? Sometimes it's because they've thought it through and they've exhausted every other possible option, right? And you just get to a point where you go, well, it's fine. I'm just going to pray just in case. Just in case there's someone listening, you never know what might happen, let's give it a go. But you kind of go into it half-heartedly. You probably think to yourself, miracles happen when pigs fly, right? If, if that's you, I want you to stick with me today. Um, and by the way, you might be here and you might actually be a person who has a lot of faith. You might actually think to yourself uh, that, that I do believe in miracles. I just don't necessarily believe God's going to do something for me. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you've experienced a bit of pain in your life and things have been really, really tough for you. And it feels like God hasn't protected you at those moments that you would have expected him to protect you. And maybe you find it hard to believe you could ask God for a miracle of protection in your life that he would ever come through for you. If that's, if that's you, I get it. Stick with me today. Because I'm hoping today we, we begin to kind of explore a little bit of, of why it's still okay to pray for protection and for miracles of protection. And when the going gets tough, I want to suggest to you, even the tough get praying. Um, we've got nothing to lose, right? We've got nothing to lose, everything to gain by praying and praying for miraculous protection. But that doesn't necessarily mean it produces huge amounts of faith in us. The trouble is, miracles are rare, right? I mean, by definition, a miracle is something that is going to surprise and confound people's expectations. And the reason that happens and the reason that they are so contentious is because they go against the grain of human experience, right? That's just not the way things normally happen. Therefore, when it happens, it's a miracle. That's kind of the point of them. So if you struggle to believe in miracles because that's not your life experience, just want to say, you know, we get that. It makes sense to us. That's okay. But maybe I could challenge you to go a little bit further. And hopefully the story that we're going to kind of look at today is going to challenge all of us, whether we are people who are just exploring faith and not really sure what to make of these strange Christians, uh, or whether we are the other end of the scale. We've been a Christian for 50 years, but maybe we still struggle with faith from time to time. I'd like to start off by showing how even people of extreme faith can sometimes struggle. Um, and can, can sometimes struggle to work out what exactly God is doing. I want to read you a story, uh, well, a chunk of a story from a book called God's Smuggler, okay, available in all good bookstores, I believe, especially the Vine in Andover, just throwing it out there. And it's by a guy called Brother Andrew, and uh, I just want to read you just a tiny snippet of one event in his life, okay? He's about to, for the first time in his life, enter a communist country on his own, not in a group and not invited by a government, okay? And this is taking place around about 1957. So, you know, this is behind the Iron Curtain. This is a tough time to be going into a country at the best of times as a, as a Westerner. He's a, he's a Dutch guy, I think. 
Listen to this. The Yugoslav government in 1957 permitted visitors to bring only articles for their personal use. Anything new or anything in quantity was suspect because of the black market thriving in the country. Printed material especially was liable to be confiscated at the border because it was viewed and regarded as foreign propaganda. Now, here I was in a car with luggage literally bulging with tracts, Bibles, and portions of Bibles. How was I to get them past the border guards? And so for the first time of many times, I said the prayer of God's smuggler. Lord, in my luggage, I have scripture that I want to take to your children across this border. When you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Now I pray that you make seeing eyes blind. Do not let the guards see those things that you do not want them to see. And so armed with this prayer, I started the motor and drove up to the barrier. The two guards appeared, both startled and pleased to see me. I wondered how much business came their way. One of the guards be began poking around in my camping gear. Lord, make these seeing eyes blind. Do you have anything to declare? He asked. Well, I have money and a wristwatch and a camera. And the, the other guard was looking inside the VW. He asked me to take out a suitcase. I knew that there were tracts scattered throughout my clothing. I pulled the front seat forward and dragged the suitcase out. I placed it on the ground and opened the lid. The guard lifted the shirts that lay on top. Beneath them, and now in plain sight, was a pile of tracts of two different Yugoslavian languages. How was God going to handle this situation? It seems dry for this time of year, I said to the other guard. And without looking at the fellow who was inspecting the suitcase, I fell into a conversation about the weather. Finally, when I, could when I could stand the suspense no longer, I looked behind me. The first guard wasn't even glancing at the suitcase. He was listening to our conversation. When I turned around, he caught himself and he looked up. Well then, do you have anything else to declare? Only small things, I said. The tracks, after all, were small. We won't bother with them, said the guard. He nodded to me that I could close the suitcase, and with a little salute, he handed back my passport. I recommend this book. It's a good read. It's interesting. Asks all kinds of questions of all of us. But one of the things that really struck me in Brother Andrew's account of this you know, weird encounter was he said, how was God going to handle this situation? That's a good question. Because you see, the thing is, he clearly believed that God was in control and had a plan for these circumstances. But at this point, he didn't know what that plan was. Okay? He was brave enough to obediently put himself in a situation where he needed to pray for divine protection. And he was filled with enough faith to pray that prayer and pray that God would do something. But the truth is, he didn't know if he would experience a miracle that he was asking for or if he wouldn't. And I want you to remember, this is a man of faith. Maybe you struggle to believe in miracles. Maybe you've heard me reading this story and you thought to yourself, well, there's a guy wasting his time. The idea of a God who exists, and if he does exist, listening to our prayers and intervening in the small circumstances of one human being's life, well, that seems about as likely as pigs flying to you. If that's you, I get it. Or maybe you'd believe that God does exist and miracles are possible, but he just simply wouldn't do one for you. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you've been through a really bad series of experiences where God didn't protect you and you think to yourself, how can I genuinely believe that God 
does miracles when he hasn't done one for me. Or maybe you've read passages in the Bible that you just can't marry up with your life experience. Maybe stories like Psalm 37 verse 39, verses like this that say, the salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. And that sounds great, but maybe you've kind of thought, well, I haven't personally experienced that. It doesn't feel true to me. So I want to ask the question today, how are we meant to cling to faith in God if he doesn't always save us from our circumstances? And I want to suggest humbly, there may be three things that I think the story tells us that would be helpful for us. Firstly, we need to deconstruct our expectations of God in order to reconstruct our faith in his miraculous protection. Secondly, we need to learn how to correctly interpret miracles and, and the Bible's discussion of them so that we see what miracles are actually teaching us about God and having faith in him. And thirdly, we need to recognize miracles for what they are in order to appreciate God for who he is. And to do these things, I'd like us to look at a story of God's miraculous protection and deliverance of two guys called Paul and Silas. These were two early Christian leaders, followers of Jesus, who went and set up churches. They were missionaries at this stage, going around doing all kinds of things. We find the story in chapter 16 of a book called Luke, uh, sorry, a book called Acts in the New Testament, written by a guy called Luke, who was another disciple and follower of Jesus. Uh, and he recorded all of these stories to pass on to future generations. And in this account that Luke uh, tells us, we read of events that challenge many of our common expectations of God, the ways he's supposed to work in our mind. And it's, it's kind of an uncomfortable story, if I'm honest, in parts. And I like that. Because when the Bible makes us feel uncomfortable, it feels more real to me. It feels really true because life is uncomfortable, isn't it? Sometimes the Bible is really honest about making us squirm. We'll get to that a little bit later. But we'll see in this story that we need to adjust our expectations of how a good God acts to bring balance to our interpretation of the Bible's teaching on miracles and also to help recognize the purpose of miracles afresh. Luke's story in Acts reads as follows. Once, when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. I just want to pause here for a moment because I want us to reflect on what we're actually being told by Luke here. Here's the situation. Paul and these other Christian missionaries are on their way to a specific place where people gathered to pray. And on the way, they meet this poor woman, this female slave who is possessed by an evil spirit. This evil spirit gives her some kind of supernatural ability to predict the future. And you might think, oh, what a blessing. That's incredible. What a cool gift. It was not a gift for her. It was a curse. Because that ability to predict the future meant that she had been enslaved by evil people who wanted to make money out of her. She was enslaved by an evil spirit and she was enslaved by evil people. She was doubly enslaved. This is about her, as horrendous a situation as I can imagine. And here's what, what I find really funny. Luke tells us that she starts following around Paul and the others and she's shouting that they are servants of God declaring the way to be saved. Do you see the irony in the story? 
Someone in desperate need of salvation is following around a bunch of people who are preaching about salvation, but not to her. They're preaching to a different crowd, to a bunch of people whose lives are probably fairly decent and who are quite annoyed that these preachers come along and interrupt them because what do they need to be saved from? The person in the story that we think needs the salvation the most is not the person getting preached to. It's kind of weird, right? If we're honest as Christians when we read this, we should probably feel a little bit uncomfortable because you kind of think, what was Paul thinking? Did he not recognize there's a situation right here that needs to be solved? If we're honest, this isn't a story that we easily accept or that we, we are comfortable with. We expect God to be primarily involved and concerned with rescuing people from evil spirits, from evil people, etc., etc. And yet these missionaries are sent by God to speak to people who may not even realize they need to be saved from anything. It's a weird story, and it prompts a question in our minds, a very important question, which is, what exactly is God really concerned about protecting us from? Because maybe it's not what we think it is a lot of the time. And we should ask that question because we need to deconstruct our expectations of God. They're usually built around how we think he should act and what we think is best. But we're talking about the God of the universe. The God who made everything that we see and that we know. All of the complexity of the world and our bodies and everything is, is created by someone who knew exactly how to put them together. We can't even begin to fathom his thoughts. So we need to deconstruct our expectations, but I'll get back to that later. Let's carry on the story. So this slave woman, she kept this up for many days, shouting and shouting, shouting in the background that these guys are preaching the way of salvation. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. We're going to stop there again. Once again, this is kind of troubling because clearly Paul had been given authority by Jesus to drive out evil spirits. And yet it's only at this point in the story that he actually does it. She's been following him around for days. She has not been saved from her circumstances. And it's only at this point where he decides this is getting a bit too much that suddenly he commands the spirit to leave. Does that mean Paul didn't care? Does that mean he was unconcerned about her? I don't think so. In fact, I think it means he was very concerned about her. And here's why. You see, in order to be possessed by an evil spirit, you already need to have a spiritual void in your life, a hole, a, like an emptiness within you that that spirit comes to fill. And Jesus described that void when he was teaching his disciples. He described it by talking about demonic possession and what happens to a person when they get delivered from a demonic oppressive situation. And this is what he says. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and it does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. 
When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and it takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and they live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than at first. So here's the thing. For five days, this girl is following them around, hearing them and understanding them, preaching the way of salvation. And that's the way of salvation from that spiritual void within us. And she needed to hear about that way of salvation before she was miraculously delivered from her situation. Because otherwise, those spirits would simply come back because there would be nothing to fill that void. No good news about Jesus. No understanding and acceptance of who he was, and the whole would remain. And the spirit would come back, probably with seven of its biggest, nastiest friends, and her situation would be worse than it was before. I bet she didn't think that at the time, but I bet Paul knew that, because Jesus taught it, and Paul knew what Jesus had been teaching. And sometimes that's how things happen. Sometimes we don't know at the time what God is doing to protect us, But he's actually protecting us in the midst of the situation where we feel we're not being protected. And I want to suggest to you, the same thing is true for us as was true for this poor, unfortunate lady. That we too need to hear about a message of salvation from a spiritual void within us, sometimes before we are delivered from circumstances that we think we need to be saved from. And I'm not just suggesting it because I think that's a a good idea or a convenient way of explaining suffering. I'm suggesting it because as we follow the story, you're beginning to see a pattern of this emerging. Follow the story with me. Um, I'm suggesting it because having heard him preaching to others for days, this slave girl is finally freed from her evil spirit and from her slavery because these guys couldn't make money out of her anymore. She was useless to them. And it's a great story for her. But guess what happens next? They kick off. Because now they've lost their means of making money. And it's all Paul and Silas's fault. So this is what happens. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. And they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before magistrates and said, These men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. By the way, that was worshipping Jesus, not the emperor. That's the custom that they objected to. But is that really what they were objecting to? No, they'd lost their money. That's what was going on. But anyway, listen to what happens. The crowd joins in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown in prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Talk about a bad day. I want you to notice something. God did not intervene to protect his missionaries. They were beaten with rods. They were thrown into a dank dark prison cell. In fact, the inner circle. And they had those really uncomfortable shackles put on them. And at no point did God protect them. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Maybe it does. Because that's not what we expect. It's not what we expect. But sometimes we need to deconstruct our expectations of God 
in order to reconstruct our faith in his protection and his miracles. Listen to me, we're not done yet. While the Bible is replete with stories of miraculous protection, it's also filled with stories of good people suffering, right? Any of you who've read the Bible from beginning to end or even large chunks of it will see suffering. Suffering is everywhere there. So why do we always expect God to protect people when he tells us plainly in the Bible that's not always how he works? We need to deconstruct that expectation. So when we read verses like Psalm 37, verse 39, which say, the salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord, he is their stronghold in times of trouble, we need to learn to interpret those verses, not just as verses that stand by themselves, but as verses that are a part of a bigger story that gives us a bigger picture that tells us sometimes God can and does do miraculous things, and at other times, he chooses not to because he's got a different plan that's bigger and better, and we've got to learn to trust him through it. That's uncomfortable. None of us want that to be the truth, but that's what the Bible tells us about it. That's its honest appraisal of the world in which we live. Sometimes we just need to get real about what faith is and what faith isn't and what we're placing our faith in. Sometimes we need to deconstruct those expectations of God in order to see afresh who he is, how he works, and what he really does in the world. If you just read Psalm 37, by the way, and you read more than one verse in it, it would reveal to you this tension that we find all the way through the Bible. Because Psalm 37 tells us that while God can and does do miraculous things to protect people. And while it's great to pray that prayer, there are still times where the world is filled with evil people who sometimes succeed in their ways. And we have to learn somehow in those moments to also be patient and wait on God's perfect wisdom to deliver people and protect them at the right time according to his plan. You know, earlier I said it was essential for the slave woman to hear about the way of salvation from her spiritual void before she was miraculously delivered from her situation. And as the story continues, I want you to notice how miraculous protection of Paul and Silas only takes place once God's plan for other people to hear this message of salvation has been completed. Here's how Luke's story continues. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. I bet you would have expected that too, right? If you were the jailer. I mean... If you were wrongly imprisoned and you were awaiting an unknown fate in a dark, nasty, horrible dungeon, and suddenly through some strange miracle of, of nature or whatever, the doors fling open, your chains fall off, and remember it's dark so no one can see you, would you hang about? No. I would scarper as long as my long legs could possibly take me and get out of there as fast as I could. So he thinks, well, everyone's escaped, and that's a very natural thing to do. But as I suggested earlier, sometimes we need to deconstruct our expectations of how God works. I think it doesn't say it explicitly, but I think God had a, a word with Paul and Silas and said, stay put, I'm not done yet. Imagine how they felt in that moment. 
Ah, you've released us. No, no, we're not done yet. Seriously? But sometimes, in order to reconstruct our faith in God's miracles, we need to deconstruct our expectations. God doesn't just do miracles to deliver us from our current problems. When he performs a miracle, there is always a greater purpose behind it. You see, miracles are like signposts that point to the way of salvation. They are not meant to be the ultimate salvation themselves. So often that's what we expect from a miracle. When, when God does something to save me, that's the greatest thing ever. But what if that miracle is just pointing to a greater salvation? Something else that we need even more than deliverance from that problem. Something else about who God is and what he does and what he has done for us. Stay tuned. We're going to find out a bit more about that in a moment. God didn't just intervene in the situation with Paul and Silas to release them from prison. He had a plan of salvation for the jailer too and for his whole family. And Paul and Silas were required to endure a lot of discomfort for that plan to come to pass. They were required to be beaten. They were required to be thrown into a prison. They were required to stay in the prison when their opportunity to leave came about. You know, Christianity is not a comfortable thing to live in. It's not a call to comfort, I can assure you. But there is a God who comforts us in every situation. And I believe they knew him, and that's why they stayed in that prison. So Paul shouts out to this poor jailer who's about to take his life. He shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. That must have freaked him out, by the way, because remember, it's still dark. Suddenly this voice comes out of nowhere when you don't think anyone's in the room. Has that ever happened to you? Someone goes, Rob, in the darkness, and you're like, oh, oh, oh. Freak me right out. But anyway, that's another story for another day. He says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and he rushed and he fell in trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, he knew that that's why they'd been imprisoned, that they'd been going around preaching a new way of salvation, that it's not the emperor that you worship who saves you, who determines your fate, that actually there's this guy called Jesus, and he has changed human history forever. He is the way of salvation. That's what he'd been preaching, and this jailer was like, what the heck is this about? Now I want to hear what they have to say, because they've literally just saved my life when they didn't need to. I'll listen to them. And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. Now, did they mean that if the jailer had faith that, they, that he believed in Jesus, he would be miraculously protected from every disaster? No, of course they didn't mean that. They're in prison that's clearly not true. That's not what they were saying. What they were saying is that genuine faith in God and in his plans isn't dependent on him always solving our immediate problems, always rescuing us from them. It recognizes that God has a greater concern for humanity, that he wants us all to find salvation from that spiritual void that is in with, within all of us until we encounter God. And that is his primary concern. He wants Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, to fill that slot so that we are no longer open and vulnerable to the evil influences in our life, to those horrendous 
things that happened to that poor slave girl, to that place of spiritual emptiness. And only when we find that do we really begin to find the true fullness of life that we can experience, the fullness of what it means to be loved and protected by God. When we have God dwelling within us, suddenly we feel a lot less vulnerable. It doesn't mean all our problems go away, but it means you will never be alone, that the God of the universe is with you always to the very end of the age. God wants us to understand how desperately all of us need him, not just people who are in a temporary crisis, but everyone who hasn't had that void in their life filled by the love of God through Jesus Christ and through the good news of what he has done for us. He wants us to hear this message that Paul and Silas were so intent on preaching, this way of salvation through faith in Jesus, faith alone in Jesus alone, that we might be restored to God, that our sins might be forgiven, that we might enjoy a personal daily relationship with God because he comes into our heart and fills that void that is within us. And that we can face any trial that the world throws us at because our God is with us and he is for us and he has demonstrated that on the cross by dying for us. That knowledge changes every experience that you will ever face, whether positive or negative experiences, because you know you will never be alone. You will never be snatched out of the hand of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes God doesn't do miracles because they might distract us from that message. At other times, he does miracles because they're meant to point us to that message. But at all times, in all situations, God is faithfully working in all things to bring about good for those who are loved by him and called according to his purposes. Listen to how the story concludes. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his, all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. That's the real miracle in the story. The lives of that jailer and everyone there were changed by the message of Jesus. The life of that slave girl who was released from her situation was changed, not just by deliverance from an evil spirit, but by the way of salvation, the message of Jesus that filled up the void that had created an opportunity for that evil spirit in the first place. That's the real miracle. The miracle of salvation from sin. The miracle of us being restored into a right relationship with God. The miracle of God coming to live within us by his Holy Spirit indwelling us. That's the miracle. The way of salvation is the ultimate miracle. And every miracle you might see in your life is meant to point you towards who God is and what he has done for you on that cross. Because that's the greatest miracle you will ever encounter in your life. And it's more important than just being protected from your circumstances. It's more important than that. And God knows that. We need to know that. We need to know we're not alone. God doesn't, he hasn't sort of turned his back on us when things go hard and get difficult. He's working out a plan that points to that level of love and salvation. That's the real miracle. 
Now, I wonder, maybe you're facing a terrible situation now. I don't know. And I wouldn't make light of your situation at all. Some people that I speak to on a weekly basis are facing trials the likes of which I've never faced in my life. And I'm not making light of that situation or the fact that you haven't been delivered yet from that situation. In fact, I would say to you, good news, God still does miracles. He is able to save you from that situation. And it's okay to pray for that. But what I really want you to have faith in is the kind of faith that says, even if he doesn't protect you from your immediate circumstances, he's still working to protect you from something much bigger. Paul and Silas were in that prison. They weren't delivered. Why? Because God had an opportunity to use them to save the jailers and his family's eternal destinies and every day of their life right now because they would be filled with the hope of God being for them, not against them. That's worth it, isn't it? Do you think when Paul and Silas finally got out of prison and like the next day and you know, people came to release them, do you think they were celebrating because they got out of prison? I think they were celebrating because of what happened in prison. I think they were celebrating because of the joy of this jailer and his whole family and the joy of the slave girl who had found salvation. I think that is what enriched their lives. And if they'd been protected and kicked out, none of that would have happened. It's uncomfortable facing things. I get it. None of us like it. But it doesn't mean we're alone. It doesn't mean God is done doing his miracles. It doesn't mean miracles are impossible. And the kind of faith that I would want you to have in the midst of whatever you're facing is the faith in Jesus that says he has done everything that you might know that nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God that is found in him. That your sins can be forgiven. You can have a relationship with God all because of what Jesus has done by creating a way of salvation for you. Maybe today is the day for that miracle to happen for you. Maybe you thought to yourself, do you know what? I'll become a Christian when pigs fly. And guess what? Maybe today's the day that pigs fly for you. Maybe it's that day when you finally realize if God wants to give pigs wings, he can give pigs wings. And if that's you, if you're sitting there thinking, actually, I've had a void in my life. And that void has caused me problems, if I'm honest. It's caused me to be misled sometimes to do things that I know are wrong. It's caused me to feel empty and alone. It's caused me to feel self-condemnation or condemnation from others. Maybe today is the day for that to end for you. Because the greatest miracle of all is that Jesus came and gave his life for you and he wants to invite you into a personal relationship with God where you no longer have to have that void in your life. If that's you, would you just pray with me today? Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have done for me. Thank you for providing a way of salvation from my sin and my separation from God. I ask you to fill that void in my heart and my life today. I ask you to bring me into a relationship with God that is real and personal and fill me with a faith that endures even hardship, just as you did. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Finally, if you're in a situation that might be different from that, maybe you just desperately need God's help right now. Maybe you need some form of protection in your life. I'd like to pray for you too. And I want to pray that you would believe God can do a miracle for you. 
But if he doesn't protect you, I want to pray for the faith to believe it's because he's doing something even better for you. Let's pray for that now. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here facing a circumstance that they are desperate to be protected from. Lord, may your protection fall upon them. And whether that's protection from the immediate circumstances they're in, that, that the miracle of your deliverance brings glory to you, or whether it's something else that you are doing in their life, would they have faith for you always working in every circumstance to bring about good because they know they are loved and called according to your purposes. And your purposes don't always make sense to us. Just like Paul and Silas probably thought, this is the time to escape. And maybe you whispered in the ear. I don't know. Maybe they already knew. Just hang around a bit. But Lord, whatever it is, would you speak into those circumstances and just let them know they're not alone. You love them. You're able to deliver them at the right time. You will do something great for them because that's who you are. We ask for that faith in Jesus' name. Amen.